We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. They're going to kill the love of my life. Daisy! If I don't go back to what I was doing. This Friday. Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain, for love. Collide, in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Roto-Wire's Monday NBA DFS podcast. I'm Joe Bartle, and joined alongside me, as always, is Ben Miller. Ben, it's been a little while since we talked. We got snowed in on last Wednesday's uh, NBA DFS podcast, so I'm happy to see you this time around. Yeah, good, good to be back. I mean, it, it was... There was no chance we're getting out of that, you know, that snowstorm alive. So yeah, you survived snowpocalypse though. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was at least seven or eight inches of snow that all fell. It, it felt like in a three-hour span. I remember waking up at four in the morning, cleaned off the car, getting ready to go to drive in because I thought I was doing the podcast, and then I got up like at six thirty or so, and it didn't look like I had shoveled off anything at all from my car. Like, yeah, it just, I actually had to get a shovel to get it off of my hood of the car. Yeah, it just kept coming down, and the worst part was I got a snow removal or not a snow removal ticket, but I got um, I was parked on the wrong side of the road because it was a snow emergency. Oh, so like not only could I not move my car because like my wheels would just spin. But I also got that because I didn't move you're, my car And you were the just stuck side. because there's nothing you could do about it. Right, right. Because right. you were just slipping the whole time. Yeah, it's not like I didn't, I didn't have any like shovels sitting around. So I Don't mean, you have enough friends that could have pushed your car out, though? Yeah, they're lazy. They, they wouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard stories from like my parents that will be, oh, I remember when we lifted uh, 
Bobby's car out of the snow oh, and just God. carried it out of the spot. And I'm like, I, I don't know what you guys were eating back then, but I don't think we have people nowadays that would just go willingly lift somebody's car out of the snow. Yeah, and then they probably walked uphill both ways with the car as right. they went yeah, home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Know? Apparently my dad's just, dad and his friends were all body lifters and oh, just bodybuilders and just yeah. doing everything like that. <laughs> well, I'm coming off the uh, Royal Rumble high, and okay. we, were, we were talking about this before we came on the podcast. How often have you watched WWE before? Like very little kind of thing, minimal. Yeah, you were very... you were seeing it on Twitter. You were seeing how people are interacting with the. Royal Absolutely, Rumble I do Twitter. have plenty of friends that are interested in it for sure. I I mean, the Royal Rumble is something I have watched. I think for at least the last ten years straight, it's always a a, a fun event to pay per view to have the friends over and watch all the action that takes place. I think besides WrestleMania. Royal Rumble is my second favorite pay-per-view, and I will go absolutely on record saying it's better than Hell in a Cell, better than the Elimination Chamber, uh, better than whatever SummerSlam ends up being, which is always total trash in my opinion. Okay. So the, the Royal Rumble was great. Got to got to see that a lot. We are going to have a Randy Orton versus John Cena championship match. You know nothing about wrestling. Who do you think is going to win? Cena. Come on. Why do you say Cena. I just recognize the name. All right, I mean, that's, that's good enough. Randy Orton is just as Randy Orton and John have been around for a long time, okay. so I could see it going both ways. I am a Cena fan, so I know I'm going to get a lot of hate from that. Just just talking about it now, but I think Cena could end up winning too. Don't be surprised if there's a third person that gets involved in this match, though. Okay, all right. like an AJ style. You got that of, insider? Uh, well, no, I have no idea. I, <laughs> just just strictly from watching as all a right. fan and kind of just hoping, crossing fingers. I wouldn't be surprised if there ends up being a third person involved in that. Now, do you have like a favorite wrestler of, of anyone? Or? Yeah, so I love John Cena. Um, Neville, who is making a, a really big career turn in the Cruiserweight Championship division, but before that, he was just a, a really athletic superstar guy. Uh, I love Neville. I'm glad he's getting his dues. Uh, I'm also a huge Seth Rollins fan, too, who's okay. kind of been the heel, the villain for a little while, but now has just recently become more of a good guy, and we might be seeing him face off against Triple H okay. at WrestleMania, which will be kind of an exciting match if it happens. So, I really am just a fan of it all, and that's why the Royal Rumble is just a great experience. I'm just happy to to be able to watch that. There hasn't been a lot of uh, downtime with how crazy everyone's schedule has been and all the sports that are going on. We have right. NBA, uh, NFL still, at least NHL, everything like that. So it was good to sit down and watch some good old slobber knocking. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's break down the perfect lineup from last night. This was... Very interesting slate of games that occurred Sunday. And honestly, the list of people here is pretty fascinating, too. So Brandon Jennings at 4,600, Drew Holiday at 7,600. Those are the point guards for the perfect lineup. Clay Thompson at 6,400, and Seth Curry at 4,000 were the shooting guards. Small forward saw Robert Covington and Carmelo Anthony. Covington at 5,600, and Anthony at 8,000 at the small forward spots for the perfect lineup. Anthony Davis and Paul Millsap, 10,800 and 8,000, respectively, for those two at the power forward spot. And then finally, your boy, Tristan Thompson, (laughs) rounds out the perfect lineup center spot at 4,900. What were some big takeaways from you? There's a lot of things that happened. Yeah, that, there, there's a match. lot of good stuff. Yeah, right? but it, first, it's, it'd be wrong to not mention, you know, Paul Millsap's performance. I get the I get that the game went to you know four overtime periods, um, but he still went off for 37 points, 19 rebounds, seven assists, a block, and a steal. He played 60 minutes. It's amazing. He yeah. played an over. He played over an hour of basketball. Yeah, on the court, not like just sitting around timeouts. Over an hour of basketball on the court. That's that should be like all-star worthy thing right there. Right. Like, There's players that don't play that much in two games or three games, you know, like, or whole seasons. If we're talking really bench scrub guys, <laughs> right. like that's, right. it's amazing to me that he was able to put that together. Yeah. The stamina that it takes to be able to do something like that. 
I don't think we talk about enough with the NBA players, but to be able to do that, and you are running up and down, the jumping two on your legs. 82 like, games, like when you do that nonstop. I mean, you can't Millsap complain too much when people are resting. Yeah, he's yeah. been around for a while. He's a pro's pro, and he, I mean, he doesn't sit out all too many games unless he's hurt. Like, it's just, he's not one of those guys to do that. So the fact that he's playing 60 minutes in a game, that that's an incredible thing. And when you're big, trying to avoid foul trouble, I remember seeing there's guys falling out left and right at the end of that <laughs> game. So it's like, he only had four fouls. I mean, that's... That's, that's some awareness good. to just avoid that in, in itself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was that was at least one person from the Knicks Atlanta game that we were like, oh, that's an incredible performance. I mean, I was looking at the three guys that all went ten times the value, but didn't actually play in that game. So we had Tristan Thompson, we had Seth Curry, and we had Robert Covington. Now again, they were all right around that fifty five hundred four thousand price. Curry being the lowest, but to me that was the the biggest surprise that we saw ten times the value out of those guys. And I don't want to do too much foreshadowing because I was <laughs> get on you for that, but I will be having two of those guys in my lineup okay. tonight. So I don't want to talk a little bit more about. It, but we'll, right. we'll, we'll, I won't make any guesses then for you, but uh, we'll we'll hold off. For you now. already know. Don't don't even don't even <laughs> You already know who. It is <laughs> yeah that's fair um yeah i will I, we, I do have to mention though carmelo anthony um for season i have 45 points which is his first 40 point game of the season i mean with all this like trade talk you know distractions mm-hmm. with his you know re- relationship with the coaching staff and all that you know, and management, management you know phil say, jackson yeah. whatever he's doing <laughs> so i mean that's that's huge i, I don't know if that's going to help his trade value like, i don't it's questionable where you know they're going to be able to ship him if if they're going to be able to or you know uh, if they do, but uh, well, we, okay. So we have a resident New York Knicks fan in the office, Max, uh, who I'm pretty good friends with. We talk about Knicks and Carmelo Anthony quite a bit, and I give him a lot of crap for it because the Knicks just haven't been good and won't be good for a long time. And he needs to know that, and right, right? Everyone else listening needs to understand, absolutely. It too. So my thought is, you trade Melo as soon as you can, and even if you're getting rid of his salary, I don't know if that's the worst thing in the world. Now, I, I, if I'm the Knicks, I want to recoup some picks. But I don't know if an Austin Rivers, Crawford, and whatever else the Clippers throw at you plus picks is that bad. I'd like to see a third team be included so that you can actually get a good pick because I think the Clippers will be just fine. But it's clear that Carmelo Anthony, while he might want to be at the Knicks, I don't wants to be a Nick. I don't know if he wants to stick around in that culture that's being created right now. And if I'm him, I'd, I want to get out. I'll be fine waving that tra- no trade clause. And if it was even a remotely good team, I'm happy to be on. Yeah, that, I think that's the key thing. I think he's going to want a, a decent team that's, you know, at least playoff bound in the upper half, you know. And that's what hurts the trade offer is because there's only a certain amount of teams that he can actually be traded to that makes sense that right. he would want to go to that might be able to give the Knicks some value back. Yeah, I think the Knicks probably overvalue Carmelo as it is. So I think what they want in exchange for him, I, I don't think they're going to get. So they're going to have to, you know, drop down their price. Quite it a feels bit. like they have to trade Melo. Yeah. After all this media scrutiny, after everything Phil Jackson said, after everything that's come up, they have to trade Mello. But I feel like because Phil, and I'm going to say stupidly, has has really botched this whole thing, Yeah, um, you're now going to get less from Mello than what you might have been able to if this had been a little under the wraps, a little like, oh, well, I don't know if we want to trade Mello. You know, <laughs> he's he's a great member of the Knicks. He's wanted to be with them for a long time. But I don't know. It, the fact that he's put the, the garage sale sign out there for Mello is only going to hurt his value more. I agree, yeah. And we see this happen with other the management staff, that they do these kinds of things, and I just don't understand um, yeah, the souring what, what of the a reason is and, for it. Yeah. I just don't get that. And I don't know if I ever will. I, I, for Mello's sake, and honestly for Knicks fans' sake, I hope that this gets figured out one way or another. I don't want it to drag on for another month until the trade deadline. I kind of just want to, okay, 
this is where Mello's going. This is when we're sending him. All right, be done. Yeah. Because it's just, it's, it's kind of torturous at this point. <laughs> I, I don't feel too bad for Nick's fan, but I mean, I, I guess I'll give that to you. All right. All right. That, you could stop being mean to New York people now. <laughs> Let's break down the six-game slate. We have Sacramento and Philadelphia kicking off at 6 p.m. Eastern time. We have the Nets and the Heat, 7.30 Eastern time. Detroit, Boston, 8 o'clock Eastern time. Magic. And the Timberwolves, 8 o'clock Eastern Time. Cavaliers, Mavericks, 8.30 Eastern Time. And then Memphis, Phoenix rounds up the six-game slate, six slate, I'm sorry, at 10.30 Eastern Time. Not a lot of high-profile games necessarily, but I think that it's an interesting group, and especially with the injuries that we're going to break down right here, here real quick, that uh, we could see a lot of DFS value. So looking at the Sacramento-Philly game, we know Rudy Gay is going to be out for the season. Joel Bean, he's questionable with that knee injury. He missed the last uh, weekend's game here, so... Well, I'm sorry, he missed this weekend's game. We don't know if he's going to play quite yet, but that could make a, a big factor if you're doing your DFS lineups. Looking at the Nets and the Heat, we have Jeremy Lin. We know he's going to be out for a couple of weeks. We talked about that last week a little bit more yeah, in yeah. depth, that we're looking at different point guard options for the Nets, and we know the Nets struggle defensively just about everywhere, so that only can help things, I think, because Lin's an all-right defender. I won't say good, but all-right defender. Joe Harris is going to be out. He's out for the sixth straight game with an ankle injury. We have Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. He's questionable with an ankle injury. Justin Winslow, we know, is out for the season for the Heat. Josh Richardson, who's been playing pretty well lately, he's going to be out. He has no timetable for return for his ankle injury, and now we know that Tyler Johnson is expected to play. He's probable for Monday's matchup. That's that's a lot of people from the uh, the Nets and Miami game that could be a big factor, especially for weighing in other people that right. can be playing. So going over to Detroit, Boston, two notable injuries and one big one, I think, at least for my purposes, Al Horford, groin injury. He's questionable to play. I think that there is a chance that he won't. And if that's the case, we really need to be looking at who else could be playing in for him. Um, but I think we'll find out more as we get closer to game time. And then Avery Bradley, the Achilles injury, he's questionable. He's missed the last six games. I think it's kind of the same thing. I'm not sure if Horford ends up playing for that. Or I'm sorry, Horford and Bravery end up playing in this game. But um, Orlando Magic and Timberwolves, Jody Meeks out indefinitely after thumb surgery. RIP me after suggesting him as a cheap option last <laughs> week. That's what you get for listening to me, everyone. I, I apologize for that. And then Evan Fournier, he's going to be uh, questionable for Monday's game with a foot injury. He's missed the last eight straight games. Moving over to the Cavaliers and Mavericks, J.R. Smith and Kevin Love out. We already know J.R. Smith. That one's not really a surprise, but Kevin Love, he left Sunday's game with back spasms. I don't know when he gets back on the court because they're going to want to be really protective of this injury, and uh, we might be able to see more intricate, intricate lineups, different lineups, and it might lead to who's starting and sitting in different instances. But I think we'll kind of figure out as time goes on what the Cavs plan to do with Kevin Love. Looking over at the Dallas side, we have Darren Williams, who we know is going to be out, J.J. Barea out. So we're looking at Seth Curry again at point guard. Andrew Bogut's hamstring injury, he suffered during Sunday's game. I think we're expecting him to be out again uh, when he missed the Spurs, and I wouldn't expect him to play against Cleveland either. Finally, Memphis and Phoenix, we have Brandon White, Brandon Wright, I'm sorry, ankle injury. He's expected to make his season debut soon, but we don't know if it's going to be tonight necessarily. Either way, I'm not sure he's one of those guys you want to use in DFS purposes, but uh, we can see Jermichael Green, he's going to have a bigger deal for your DFS lineups, especially looking at the Rotowire Optimizer. He's questionable for Monday with the knee injury, and then we have Dragon Bender, 
questionable with an ankle injury. He's missed the last three games. So went through a lot of different injuries there, Ben. Is there any one that uh, any one injury or one matchup that stands out to you? I'd say simply because of the number of injuries that that Brooklyn Miami game probably has, you know, some big fantasy implications. Uh, the Nets are already going to be out, you know, like we said, without Jeremy Lin, Joe Harris. But if Ronda House Jefferson ends up missing the game too, uh, there's going to be a ton of extra time, you know, available for the guards and wings. Um, I'd say decent minutes for Bojan Bogdanovic, Chris Levert, um, Sean Kilpatrick, maybe. You know, all those guys are kind of intriguing to me. Although, you know, Levert has been coming on of late, uh, specifically, and the Nets may have to, you know, continue to throw the rookie into the fire there um, to get him some more experience. Uh, he had a couple thirty Fanduel point showings earlier this month, and you know, at just forty four hundred, Levert still has some decent value. So, um, I think there's some options in, the, in that um, that Brooklyn side of things. But I mean, on Miami as well. Uh, Tyler Johnson's return likely hurts, you know, guys like Deion Waiters and Wayne Ellington who've been playing pretty big minutes uh, of late with Johnson's sidelines. So, um, you know, both Waiters and Ellington averaged over 32 minutes in each of the, you know, the Heat's last four games. Um, but yeah, I, I see that dropping off just a little bit, which could you know hurt them a little bit. Waiters' price has skyrocketed up lately. I'm thinking yeah. it's, it's around 6,000 on this slate. I, I, and it's just, I mean, he's been playing fantastic. I get that. But I wonder if it was already too high, even if... Tyler Johnson were to be out again. I, I don't think that Waiters is one of those guys you can consistently use in DFS purposes. I mean, even in season long, or if you are actually an NBA team, I don't know if you can really count on Waiters for a whole 82 game season. They seem to have spurts where he does really well. And I'm wondering, Ben, what you're thinking, how many points will he actually end up going down, at least FanDuel wise, if, and we are expecting Tyler Johnson to play? Yeah, I, I mean, he was, he had three straight games of 40 FanDuel points or more. Uh, the last two games, he's been down to 27 in each game. Um, with Johnson back, I I honestly see it taking a hit. Like I think he's going to stick in that mid twenties, right? Uh, yeah, like there, if you want a consistent, I'd say mid twenties. There's no way that he can get to that forty point plateau that he was hitting those three straight games prior. When we have all those guys back, right? Yeah, that's, that's what I'm thinking too. Like yeah. that when I was going through the schedule, that was the one that jumped out to me the most as this is an erroneous price that should not be where it is because there's no way he hits that floor like you you're asking you're looking for him to get at minimum 30 fanduel points to make it a, a decent enough trade for you and i don't think there's any way he's going there right 6300 like right that's up there yeah that's and that's just i think it goes down i think that's that's coming off of the 40 point yeah. games that he was doing yeah. but still it just that that's such a high number where i I don't know if I would have really felt comfortable even using him if all those guys were playing. Yeah, I don't think there's with with Johnson back. I, I don't think there's the upside there that you want for someone that's at sixty three hundred. I'm looking at the the Horford injury in particular. Um, we we know that Horford could play Monday. He was probable for Saturday's matchup against the Bucks, and then he got ruled out with it. So I, I don't. That's where I'm concerned. If it degressed that much throughout the day that they weren't able to play him on Saturday's game. Is he really going to be better any two days later against you know a, a team? I, so if he misses, I think Kelly Olynyk is going to be a good DFS option. Against the Bucks. when he started for Horford, he had 36 minutes, 17.7 boards. Um, he was around 4000 for the price, and again, he's around 4000 for price today. He's at 4100 I think you're asking him to get about 20 to 25 to hit that five times marker. And I know against Andre Drummond, that's going to be tough. Um, I don't think he's going to get 17 points like he did against the Bucks. But at the same time, it, it's very, very easy for me to see a spot where if he is playing 30 minutes, he's going to get at least 10 rebounds. And you're almost already there at what you're asking for his value. So as a cheap center option, and there are a few of them tonight, he's one of those that I would really look at, especially if Horford's out. And if Horford's out, 
um, I'm rearranging my lineup accordingly because I think that that could make a, a huge difference across a few different floors. I do like Olenek. I think you're a key with the minutes thing. If he gets minutes, he's, he's he produces pretty well. So I think that's that's the key here. Um, you know, you look at his previous games and you might not like what you see in the game log, but you know, if he if he gets the boosted minutes that that we're looking at with Horford out, I, I think it's a pretty solid play. Like you said, he's got a decent you know floor for for rebounds and he can score. Like this, right. he's not he's not like a deficient um, scorer. So I, I think there's there's definitely some potential there if, if Horford does sit out. I mean, he hasn't scored double digit rebounds in, in quite a while. I mean, I'm looking at his his log right now and even. January 28th through December 20th, he has not scored more than 10 rebounds in a game. I get that against Andre Drummond. I'm, a, I'm not expecting Olenek to hit that floor, especially if he's starting and playing those minutes. That's not going to happen, but I think he'll get his points, and he can actually factor a little bit in on the defensive end and assists. He's actually a relatively decent passer for a big man. So again, for 4100 which is the price on Monday, if Horford is out, Olenek seems like a great play to me. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of, I mean, this is a great transition. There's a lot of centers that are higher priced on today's slate. Actually, it's center and point guard heavy, at least for for big players. Um, is there a certain strategy you're going with that? Are you going higher on some of the centers, lower tier? Uh, what's your strategy right now? I do often like I do I, I do like to pay down on centers. I, I will say that, but I think tonight there's some variability. But the guys that are available, I think I think it's a good idea to pay up. I do. Um, yeah, at the top of the list, we have Demarcus Cousins and Carl Anthony Towns. Um, but even behind them, we got Gasol, Hassan Whiteside, Andre Drummond. Um, that's a lot of really good, you know, centers. Some of the best in the league. Um, it, it's kind of a lower key, you know, night for high salaried players without Anthony Davis's, you know, James Harden's, Russell no, Westbrook, yeah, Seth Curry's out too. Like that. I mean, sorry, Steph Curry. Seth Curry is playing. <laughs> we have one Curry playing tonight. It's all right. It's yeah, all good. I just I think that presents a great opportunity to pay up for a bit at center. And you know, I don't usually do it, but I think this is yeah. It's one of those nights where I feel comfortable um, jumping up there. To answer my own question, I would say yes and no. So I'm really being as big and ambiguous as possible because I don't know if I really have a really solid answer for it. I think. I can easily see scenarios where you go cheap at center. You can find a Tristan Thompson. You can find a Linux if uh, Horford's out. There's even a few other guys before that that would be like, oh, yeah, right around that 5,000 to 4,000 range, there are definitely a few options available if you want to essentially punt at the center position. I also completely understand if you want to pay up for it. In fact, I think I'll set two different lineups tonight, one with a lower price center and one with a higher price center. I think that's the hinge mark. Like When you're putting your lineups together, it feels pretty straightforward on shooting guard. I think pretty straightforward and small forward as well. But that center spot, you kind of, you can go a variety of different ways. And there are a lot of different options, like you mentioned, higher priced options that you can use too, where it's not going to be just all, we're all piling on Carl Anthony Towns or yeah. Marcus Cousins or something like that. We, we can go a few different directions and still get relatively the same value. So okay. I think we're going to see a lot of variety in the lineups and I don't have a solid answer whether to be cheap or go high priced on them. I really don't. I, I yeah, you're not wrong. I I, I just think that this is the time to pay up. I think it is. Like like I said, there's just no other, you know, like we always, I always want, like me personally, yeah. I get stuck with, you know, always wanting to play Westbrook or Harden. Right. Um, <laughs> We're forcing your hand. We literally right. took them off the schedule so you can't play them. <laughs> You're so, yeah, I just, that's, that's why I like, I, I want to pay up. I do. I think that's, I think it's a good move. And like I said, I'm going to put two different lineups. I'm going to see which one ends up working out better. But right now, at least the one I put together for this podcast, we're going a little cheaper on it. And that's, that's kind of my, my strategy as a whole. We, we always talk about stars and scrubs. Uh, I'm curious, what direction do you feel like you're going to do? Are you going to do a star and scrub or are you going to do more of a, 
uh, spread out the money elsewhere and, and kind of figure everything else out? I'm kind of almost in the middle here. Okay. You know, like, yeah, I usually yeah, you pick one or the other almost, you know, you, you want the stars and scrubs, you, you stuff a bunch of the, you know, the upper guys up in mm-hmm. there. And, you know, if you have, if you know, there's a bunch of those, you know, value plays elsewhere. Um, I don't know if there's like an extreme amount of value plays. That's the that's the whole point, right? So, I'm, I feel like I'm going a little more consistent, you know, balanced out ish. I'm still getting a couple of those, you know, guys in the ten thousand, nine thousand range, right? So, I mean, some people may say that's still a stars and scrubs, um, but I still, you know, I'm not trying to like push it with you know three guys in the top ten salaries or anything like that. Um, so, I, I still think it's a little more balanced than you know what I'm used to. Well, because there's so much money at the center spot and you can only use one center in FanDuel lineups, I've actually found that it's really tough to be doing a stars and scrubs lineup because yeah. most of the high value guys are at the center spot. Yeah. It's either yeah. a point guard or center, like I said. And I think that there's a lot of variety that you're going to find yourself if you choose to go high price at centers using one of five or six. And that's a different variance, especially in tournaments and in double up performances where you can say, okay. Uh, I might want Andre Drummond in this lineup. I might want Carl Anthony Towns in this lineup. I, and you could make a reasonable case to have any one of those guys. So it's tough for me to say, yeah, I'm going stars and scrubs because most of the stars that you'd be picking from are the center. Yeah. <laughs> so for yep. me, I'm also doing exactly what you're saying. I, I kind of calling it like a lukewarm stars and scrubs sort of thing. I'm targeting a few injuries that I know are going to make an impact in the lineups and taking the cheaper guys accordingly and then filling out with mid-tier guys and then finding a few stars in between. I think that's what I I do for most lineups. I wouldn't say this is any different than how I construct my lineup otherwise. Um, But at the same time, just because there are so many high-priced options at center, it's tough to find where you'd be able to really truly do these stars and scrubs approach. Right. Let's move on to the RotoWire Optimizer lineup. Um, RotoWire suggesting point guard Alfred Payton going against the Timberwolves at 6,600, and then TJ McConnell, the other point guard option, he's going against the Kings at 5,700. Rounding up the shooting guard spots will be Tony Allen, your boy. You have a lot of your boys, but <laughs> Tony Allen, your boy, at 4,500, and then Seth Curry, who we both like, and we'll talk a little bit more, going against the Cavs at 4,300. The small forward spot, I like this part of the optimizer quite a bit. LeBron James at 10,500 going against the Mavericks, and Andrew Wiggins, the perpetual scorer and only scorer, going against the Magic, 7,300. We have the power forward spot, Gorgie Dang, Magic, 5,800, and then... Uh, the other power forward spot, Zach Randolph, going against the Suns at 6,400. Rounding out the lineup, center Hassan Whiteside. He's going against the Nets. Nets struggle to stop anybody. 8,900 for his price tag. What are some things jumping out at you with this sort of my optimizer lineup? Yeah, I actually don't mind it. You know, this time around, it's a little conservative, but I think that's still you know one of the like we mentioned just previously. I think that might be the play um, this time around. I do find issue with using Zach Randolph. You know, if Jamichael Green ends up playing. Um, that that'll be a situation to look into as lineup lock approaches. You know, Green's still considered questionable, but that's going to really hurt Randolph's value. Randolph had has had you know two pretty big games in a row, I believe. But Green, Green, when he's there, that's he's taking full value from Randolph. So and, you know he'll, he'll push Randolph back to the bench. He's it's going to hurt his rebounds, his points. Um, but I will say, if Green's out again, go ahead and get Randolph in there. Um, sixty four hundred. He's gonna, you know, rack up. I think he's double doubled in these last two games when he started. Yeah, he's um, no. He actually has uh, 
two consecutive 35-plus point FanDuel games. Yeah, so he yeah. played against against the Jazz. Against the Jazz, Randolph starting 34 minutes. He got 28 points, 9 rebounds. That was 41 points for FanDuel. And then the, the game before that, which was the first head of a doubleheader, um, against the Trailblazers, 17 points, 13 rebounds, 3 assists. That was 38.1 points. So, yeah, if Green is out, Randolph has definitely got a target. And he's almost matchup-proof, especially when you're putting together 40 point Fanduel point games against the Utah Jazz defense that that kind of feels like one of those yeah you could definitely use him if Green's out but we don't know quite yet and from what I was reading and gathering beforehand I don't know if we're going to find out much about Green's stats until right around start of the game time right yeah and the tough thing about that it's it's the late game 9 30 right so you don't know if you really want to risk you know you're really gambling right throwing one of those guys in there not knowing exactly um if they're playing or not to be fair I mean he's Randolph, even when he wasn't uh, starting, was putting together some decent fan, uh, fantasy FanDuel points. I mean, he had 29 and 22-point games prior to the, the two games he started. Then after that, he had a 34-point game against the Kings. He had a 36-point game against the Bulls, 35-point game against the Rockets. So if you're using Randall, if you're convinced that you want to use him and you think Green's going to be out, don't be discouraged if Green does end up playing because there's a chance that Randolph will do well. But I think you're certainly hurting your hurting your chances obviously if green's gonna be uh, uh green's gonna be taking the court yeah especially i think randolph's salary is probably bumped up a little bit just because of his recent strong play um so you'd like to see that a little lower if, if green's available but otherwise i think it's it's decent value i i kind of agree with you as far as the overall strategy with the optimizer it feels like it's i don't want to say it's punting um but it, it's taking more of a conservative approach i think that's again partly because there aren't that many high-priced options that aren't centers yeah um And I think we're looking at a few different things when we're putting together our optimizer lineups and saying, okay, where am I putting my money towards? Where am I allocating it from? And and I just want to put more of it to a certain spot like small forward, like what the optimizer did with Wiggins and LeBron. And then I also want to put it towards point guard because I think I I can find more consistency at the point guard spot and I'm going to be able to take a cheaper option at center. So I'm not really a huge fan of what they're able to do this time, but that's more because... I just don't know if there's that many options for them to choose from taking mid-tier kind of guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I will say I'm a little iffy on using Whiteside. He, he did play 29 minutes Saturday. Um, still pretty fresh off an ankle injury, though. I think he missed a, a game, you know, a couple games back. Um, so there's definitely some worry there. I don't. He's he's kind of an injury-prone guy. Um, the Nets do give up the third most fantasy points to centers though um so there's still a way to validate you know having him in that lineup so i, I get what the optimizer is doing there um but i still worry about injuries i that's that's my, my biggest thing and like i like we talked about before there's so many higher other higher right. price centers that you might as well use one of them if you're if you're paying up Whiteside has missed five games in January. He did have a stint where he missed four games from January 1st to the 6th, and then he had an ankle injury that caused him to miss the January 27th game against the Bulls. So, yeah, definitely injury concern. And that's not even like, I mean, he's been injury concerned uh, not just this year, but throughout most of his career. Right, right. And that was part of the reason why he was just a bargain bin pickup by the, the, the heat turned into a stud kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. So, uh, no, he he's a guy I definitely agree with you. I'm not touching Whiteside. There are so many great options to use at center. Um, I'm not touching Horford. I'm not touching Whiteside if they're playing. So I, I absolutely agree. And I know that the Nets struggle at defending everybody, um, but I'm not going anywhere near this one. Even yeah. if he is ruled you know, completely healthy, no. 
I'm going to let somebody else take that gamble and yep. they can go accordingly. I agree. That's, yeah. that's how I feel. Yeah. The, like, like we just said, there's, there's too many other options available. Why risk it with, um, you know, an injury prone or like some, someone fresh off an injury at center. Exactly. All right, let's go ahead and do our fan duel lineups. Um, I think it'll be best if we go position to position. So we'll start first with you, Ben, who do you have at point guard in your lineup? So this is, I'm starting off with one of the guys I'm paying up for Isaiah Thomas, um, and I'm pairing with him with uh, the guy the optimizer had, the Alfred Payton. Okay. I think we we talked about previously how I'm, I'm kind of more of like a buy low guy. Yeah. Um, and I will agree that that's usually where I go. Um, I try and grab someone someone at their lowest price, you know, just before they spike again. Um, but in Thomas's case, he's honestly consistent enough where I don't feel uncomfortable paying uh, paying up. You know, as long as he's healthy, he's almost a guarantee to surpass that 40 Fanduel point mark which is fantastic. And there's still upside to be had. I mean, this, this is a guy that can still drop on, you know, the upper fifties, sixties for Fanduel points like Anthony Davis or Russell Westbrook. Um, I get that he was in, you know, the eight thousands earlier this season. Um, but I think there's a good reason for his bump and that's obviously his production. I, I don't see him dropping below, um, that mid nine thousands again this season. Um, so 10,000, it's, it's a little up there, but it's, I think it's still pretty fair to me. Um, and, you know, and adding on to that, it's a decent matchup with the Pistons who are in the top 10 for fantasy points allowed, um, two point guards, yeah. Two point guards. So I, I think that's there's there's valid use in you know keeping him in there, especially as one of those top price guys. I really think that um, I discredit him or or look over him literally because of his size. I, it's tough for me sometimes to think that a guy that small could be able to put up consistent fantasy Fanduel points at least. But I mean, he's been doing this all year. Yeah. I really think that this is going to be the highest price that he ends up sitting at. I don't think he goes much higher than this. Um, yeah, I could, de- I definitely agree. I think you might be right with that. So, so for me, I'm like, well, I'm not sure why I want to use it, but the Pistons have allowed, and you talked about how they've allowed the 10th most or about the middle of the pack, uh, points allowed for FanDuel points. They've allowed the second most FanDuel points in the last five games to point guards. So it's not like they've been playing lights out defense recently. They've, they've really been struggling. And we know Isaiah Thomas is the guy that the Celtics need to carry the load. Um, and they're definitely in the thick of the playoff race. So yeah, I think you can use him. I'm not really touching the that point guard spot. Like I, I would rather go a little cheaper. I'm going to use Kyrie Irving at 8600, and then Goran Dragic at 7800, um, which will be about the same amount that what we're paying for for our point guard spots. But, yeah, yeah. Um, it just seems like I'm putting a lot of pressure on what I want from Thomas to get. So he'd have to get around 50 to 55 Fanduel points for that value to work. Or I'm asking Kyrie Irving against you know. Uh, questionable Mavericks defense to get about 45 to 50 and I think that's a better a better play for me so that's the point guard way I'm going at least okay yeah is there anybody at at shooting guard that you're looking at for cheap options we yeah we we did mention him before um Seth Curry still at 4300 that's fantastic Um, price for right now, that's a fantastic price. Yeah, that's that's very cheap for you know the solid plays he's had recently. You know, we mentioned him in the in the top overall lineup from yesterday, I believe. Yep. Um, you know, and the Mavericks are still without Darren Williams, JJ Barea. Um, he's still going to get plenty of run. I, I certainly would expect him to grab ten boards like you did last night. Right. Like that's ridiculous for for a guard. Um, and, and it's not t- like Kyrie's known for defense, right? And not really like any of the like the Cavs guards aside from like Shumpert they're not really defensive stalwarts so yeah uh, I think Seth Curry's definitely good at his points it's just can he get the other stuff yeah 20 field goal attempts for yeah. for Curry last night like, <laughs> that's a ton of shots uh, for a guy who doesn't normally uh, well I guess not normally but he's not a you know a rotation guy that's yeah we're not that's been there all season 20 shots right. a game most nights that's, exactly. that's that's ridiculous I mean those are like 
mellow numbers when yeah. it's not a four overtime game. Well, right. it's actually more like half of mellow's numbers when it's <laughs> exactly. Going to take a little dig uh, if I can. Yeah, I, he's a steal, forty three hundred. I'm. I think he, like the one thing we did mention we were talking about before this pod, but uh, his ownership is probably going to be through the roof. Yeah, um, above fifty uh, in my opinion. That'd be my guess. So, uh, and I, I don't. I don't think it should scare anyone. No. At all. No. At all. Because you're asking him to get 25 points at most for five times the value. Yeah. He's going to probably get that in the second quarter. Like, Yeah. You're almost putting yourself at a disadvantage if you're exactly, not. Exactly. Exactly. I'm all for the contrarian play. Like, I really try to think about that often. But there are some times where there's a player that just is going to be rostered a lot. And you have to roll with it because he's going to do well. And you know what? If he doesn't, well, so does 70% of the people you're playing against are going to do the same thing. Yeah. You have to find the value elsewhere in your lineup to make it work. And that's where... Like, I think you have to play Seth Curry. Yeah, to compare it to yesterday's game, that's how I kind of felt about Brandon Jennings. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a guy that's, he's had so much success in the past that when he's getting that starting role, like Derrick Rose was out. So right. I, I just felt so confident with his value that you could, you have to play him. Um, so that's just like Curry. He's, he's 4,300. You got to play him. Right. Uh, is there another shooting guard option? I mean, we, we I like Seth Curry as my shooting guard, uh, number one in the, my number, I'm sorry, my number Two shooting guard Devin Booker at sixty five hundred. I'm sorry, at sixty eight hundred. I'm messing up all over the place. <laughs> I don't really feel comfortable with the Devin Booker play, but yeah, do you, do you worry about him being like a, a one trick pony points wise for being yeah, too expensive? So we were just talking about contrarian plays and Booker again going against the Grizzlies at sixty eight hundred. He ends up being like the I think the second or third most high priced shooting guard option. I want to just make sure I check that real quick. Um, but in the same, I'm sorry, actually he is the most high priced shooting guard option. So. I thought it was a bit of a contrarian play. I don't think many people are going to expect to play Booker, especially against the Grizzlies. Um, I know the Grizzlies are pretty good defensively, so I'm not expecting Booker to get that much. But even if he is a one-trip pony, even if he's only scoring points, I think he's going to score plenty. I think that the Suns rely on him to make a lot of offensive things work. And if nothing else, the ball will be running through Booker at times. And, And in that sense... I feel comfortable putting him in. I think if I'm to rejigger my roster around once we find out um, Al Horford's status and if Zach Randolph is going to be starting, I think Booker will be one of the first people to go if that's the case. But for right now, I feel pretty comfortable using him. And I think if I'm asking him to get 30 Fando points, I can live with that. I think he'll be able to do that against the Grizzlies' stalwart defense. I, I feel pretty confident. Yeah, he's scored over 20 points in every single game except the first, you know, his first matchup in January. So that's that's a pretty easy yeah. base to put yourself in the mid 20s right from the get-go and like if you're playing full minutes you're gonna get rebounds and assists right by default right and like if so he's scoring that much it almost automatically puts him at that 30 point fandle mark on on most nights so and i'm looking at just for double up lineup purposes that's all i really need yeah i know he's not going to hit a high part but i also don't think many people are going to use him and he's already getting those points from me anyhow. So I think it's a decent enough play. I had a little money to spend elsewhere. So I figured, okay, we'll put it at the at this shooting guard spot. And I don't think many people are going to use him. Yeah, I, th- I think that's valid. I, I do. Who's your other shooting guard that you're using? I'm paying way down um, for Randy Foy here, actually. Randy Foy. Yeah. Like the guy that was good five years ago. <laughs> he's- Why do you always do this? What, what's the fascination with getting guys that are at least 65 years old? I like my veterans, man. <laughs> you got to respect the veteran. No, um, no, he, he is. He's super inconsistent. But I, and I, I mean, that's I don't always love to have that in my lineup. Obviously, you don't right. you don't like inconsistency. Right. You know, meager five point nine Fanduel points on Saturday, which is horrible. But the game before, he had thirty one, nearly double doubled. He's still in the starting lineup. They still have no Lynn, no um, Joe Harris. Ronda House Jefferson might be out. You know, he's starting. He's going to get thirty plus minutes. 
I'm fine with it. He's almost a minimum play. I think there's definitely some pretty big risk there, but um, like I said, at, at almost a minimum price, why not? The record does show that you were, in fact, able to beat my lineup with your mile, uh, cast of old veterans last time <laughs> around, so I can't really knock you too much, but I'm just concerned that that inconsistency will come back to bite you and other people using the lineup with Foy in it. So I think there's other cheap options that you can end up using besides Foy. Okay. Yeah, I, mean, I, I do. I do agree. I just, I don't think um, the, the shooting guard spot was, there wasn't very many cheaper options. No. So I think that was kind of like, you know, I fell on it. I, I'm using some bigger guys up top. So, um, I, but I, I still think there's enough, you know, upside there as a, almost a minimum guy that it's, it's worth a shot. Going with two not-so-cheap guys, I have LeBron James and Andrew Wiggins as my two small forward options. I I think it's pretty obvious why we're going there. I mean, LeBron's my highest-priced player in my lineup, and I think Andrew Wiggins, just kind of like Booker, we know that Wiggins is going to score, and he's going to give me a certain amount of points that I can always depend on. And I don't think the Magic are actually that good defending small forwards, so there's a chance that he could go off for a little bit more. Unlike Booker, I think Wiggins actually has a chance to go above the ceiling and kind of explode through it um, by by some happenstance where he figures out how to pass and rebound more than what he's been doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I feel confident using those two small forwards. Who do you have in your lineup? I, I also have um, Wiggins. Um, you're just copying me. But well, you're a smart man. Okay, all right, there we go. <laughs> Thank you. I'll no, I, the Magic, like we, I think we mentioned before, the Magic give up a lot of points. They're top 10 for you know highest points given up to small forwards as well. Um, so he's got, he's got a chance to do some work. He's at one of the higher prices of the season, but I think... He's still got that floor, like like a Booker, right. um, but I think he's got more upside for you know rebounds and assists, obviously. Hence, why he's you know costs a little more. Um, but I, I do want to go back to LeBron James for you. you. You mentioned that. Are you worried about a back to back with LeBron, Kyrie, and then we'll we'll get to. And it here eventually. I thought that we were going to talk about that with Tristan Thompson. Yeah, well, I just wanted to get to it. That's fair. Okay, so I am, and I and you had brought this up before the podcast, and I had not thought about it at all. And the more we have been talking and going through this, I am a little bit worried. Uh, the The back to back scares me, especially with Kevin Love out already. It would be very easy for the Cavs to say, you know what, we're just going to take all of our starters out here, or at least our star starters, yeah, and have them rest. LeBron can complain more to the media afterwards, but at least for the next two and a half hours, we will have him sitting and be healthy, and not have to worry about anything. At the same time, I'm not so much concerned about them sitting out this week as it would be next week when the Cavs have four straight road games. That's where I think they end up sitting out people. So while the Cavs might get ahead against the Mavericks, who haven't been very good in Western Conference, um, I I could see a situation where they take out Kyrie and LeBron after the third quarter when they're up 25. But in most instances, and especially with Love out, um, I think it's asking a lot for them or assuming for them to be ahead by that much. I think we'll see LeBron and Kyrie play. Um, I would definitely keep tabs of it still because you brought you brought up a good fact with the double uh, the back to back. So I would keep tabs of it, see if they are playing uh, before Monday's game. But I feel confident using both of them. Okay, yeah, that's valid. All right, your other small forward. I'm jumping ahead. I'm just going to give it for you, uh, Marcus Morris. He's going against the Celtics at 5,300. You like to use the Morris guys quite a bit. We're going to Marcus Morris this go around. Why are you using him? They're upside. They, they they have that upside. They always do. You know, they got upside for 35, 40 points. They, they're not 
going to get that regularly, which is sucks. Um, <laughs> you know, he's had 19 and 18 Fanduel points the last two games, but then the three games before that, he had 43, 36, 36. And I know that was because you know Contavious Caldwell Pope was you know injured at some point during that stretch, but he's got enough upside for me that. I like using him, and he's cheap. What is he? Mid five thousands, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fifty three thousand or fifty three hundred, I should yeah. say. Um, so I think that's great value for for Morris, and he's going to get his shots. He he likes to shoot the ball. Just looking ahead, you also have Tobias Harris at fifty nine hundred in your lineup. What's the deal with going against the Celtics? The Pistons, two guys that you're targeting here. Why are you going against the Celtics? I don't know if it's so much the matchup base there. Okay, um, that's that, what I was wondering. Yeah, it's more about what they, you know, their individual, you know. Um, production, you know, has shown recent, like recently and the floor, so far this that's season. What I right, keep talking about that they, yeah. they provide you a certain floor and they can exceed that. Those are two of those guys, and I absolutely agree with you. Just yeah, to, to go along with that, I absolutely agree that that both Harris and Morris, you know, what you're going to get for the most part. Like, what's the lowest part that you're going to get, and you also know what the highest can be. Yeah, and the highest is what the intriguing part is. The highest is why you're paying fifty nine, fifty four hundred for these kind of guys because you know, well, they can reach here. I don't know if the Celtics are the people that they can reach here too. I, I like Jay Crowder as a defender. I think that Brad Stevens, our coach, is a pretty smart guy and knows how to to stymie an offense for the most part, or at least make it inefficient and effective, um, whether it be through turnovers and what else. But I understand where you're looking at Tobias Harris and Marcus Morris. I think those are two quality options. When we're talking about putting our stars in scrubs lineup, this is where we were both kind of lukewarm we're, we're filling in a bunch of mid-tier guys to make yeah, it work exactly and I, I know a lot of people don't like using a guy that comes off the bench um you know the, the pistons are not using john luer in their starting lineup instead of harris but luer hasn't been you know amazing and i think they're still going to revert to um harris a bunch off the bench so that, that doesn't worry me that much he's going to be getting almost a starter's workload anyway um upper 20s right. low 30s anyway so i mean that's i'm fine it's just that. semantics at that yeah point. exactly who's your other power forward option you're using I'm also going with Ursan Ilyasova. Uh, that's another guy. I, I like. He's like a Morris to me as well. Yeah. You know, he, he's got that floor, but he's also got decent upside for being a pretty decently low um, price player on most nights. A um, little inconsistent. You know, like a couple of games ago, he had six points. Um, but then, you know, he had 44 yesterday, 30, you know, a couple of games back. So he... He's a guy that can put up points. I, I, he scores, and with with a young roster like the Sixers, um, there's that time. There's times where he's going to have to take over and, and do the scoring for them. He played 35 minutes against the Bulls. Again, you're talking about the January 29th game against the Bulls. 35 minutes, 31 points, 11 rebounds. That was in tune to his 44.7 performance. I just don't think that he's consistent enough. When we're talking about Morris, Marcus Morris, and we're talking about Tobias Harris, we know the floor they're going to give us, and consistently. We also know the ceiling, and that doesn't happen as often. I think that what we saw with Ely Silva yesterday was the ceiling, and we don't necessarily know the floor. So you said the six points the game before, he had 30, but then again he had 22 the game after that. So I don't know if I, I feel comfortable relying on him on a consistent basis just because he's he's all over the place at times. We might see a 42-point game. We might see a six-point game. That's that's a wild stretch in the last four games. Yeah, I think I think especially if you're looking at double-ups, that's I think you want to you know avoid that type of inconsistency. Um, but you know if you're going into like a tournament setting, I think it's completely more valid you know yeah, to use a yeah, guy that's yeah, in the mid five thousands that has the upside. Like you want you want someone that's able to do that and who's done it before. And you know guys like Morris and you know Ilya Silva are guys that have put up you know the forty Fanduel points. So I mean you kind of want to strike all of them in the same day. Obviously like that's how right. you win the, the big right. bucks, but. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think you do have a valid point that you don't necessarily want that inconsistency in like a double up setting. Um, 
but yeah, I think they're great plays in, in tournament settings. My two power forwards are James Johnson. He's going against the Nets at 6,000. And then Channing Frye going against the Mavericks at 3,800. I think Channing Frye is absolutely my play of the night. Like, he's he's the guy I would put in every lineup. He's actually what I'm building lineup around first. Most times I do high-priced guys, and Channing Frye is the first one I'm putting in. With Kevin Love out, I, I really anticipate him being a, not even a focal member, but just does enough to be able to, to put together a bunch of points. And I would be... I would be very. It would not be surprising at all for me to see him in the Rotoware Optimizer, like the optimal lineup for this matchup tomorrow when we're going through that right, stuff. Right, right. I mean, for him to get thirty points, that would not be that difficult in my mind, especially against the Mavericks. I know Nowitzki's playing center right now, but where Channing Frye plays and how often he's shooting is definitely going to factor in how many points he's going to get. And I think he's going to be playing against a pretty juicy matchup and score a lot of points. So easy start for me. Yeah, he's minutes wise, he had 15, 18, and 19 in the last three games. But without Kevin Love, that should easily get in the mid-20s. Right. Um, he gets up his shots as it is. So, I mean, he, he's a three-point guy, three-point specialist, mm-hmm. big man. Um, but I, I like it, 3,800. That's cheap. It's absolutely the play of the night for me. I had I had stood on the stump for the first time, first podcast we done for Buddy Healed. This is exactly how I feel in the same time. I, I really think Fry is going to be the go-to guy, and I think he will probably work his way close to the ownership rate that you have for Seth Curry, maybe a little bit lower. So it's one of those guys you almost have to put in your lineup uh, because I don't know you're going to be missing out on a lot of points. That's just that's just it. That's how it's going to happen. Yeah. No, I think that I do. I do think you have a valid point. Um, and I think some people may shy away. You know, he's an older guy. Uh, you give me crap for using my veterans. Um, but yeah, I, I think some people may shy away just because of that. You know, he's an older guy that people don't necessarily want to rely on. Um, but with Kevin Love out, I think at that price, why not? He's, yeah. he's going to get his shots. He's going to get his you know rebounds. So go for it. Absolutely. All right. Finish out our lineups. Who do you like at center? DeMarcus Cousins. This is what I was talking about before paying up. I'm I'm going all the way up for Demarcus. He's the highest, um, you know, highest priced guy on the night at eleven thousand one hundred. Um, but I absolutely love the play against the 76ers, um, who could potentially be without Joel Embiid. Yep. Um, he's still questionable at this point. Um, so either they're playing without him or they're playing with a banged up Embiid. And I like, I completely love having um, Cousins against him. Um, with that, the Sixers give up the most points to centers in the league. Um, so when you're going up against one of the best centers in the league, that's it's, it's a recipe for disaster, right? That I I don't I don't think there's a safer play on the night other than you know Cousins. Like he is the safest play, um, so that's that should be expected. He's averaging 53.2 Fandle points per game on the season. Um, we're easily talking upside in the, in the 60s, in my opinion. I think that's absolutely true. At center, I decided to go cheap. I'm using Tristan Thompson. He was one of the guys that had 10 times the value in the optimizer lineup that we went over last night. Um, I I just simply think he's going to do well, whether it's Nowitzki, whether it's somebody else that covers him at center. He's going to get his rebounds. He's going to get his points. It's the reason why you use him, and he's been pretty effective for you when you have him in your lineup. Tristan Thompson, to me, is a very safe option at $4,900 that I know pretty well what I'm going to be getting out of him, and I can feel consistent starting him, especially in a double-up kind of lineup situation. I love what you're saying about Cousins. Um, If I wanted to pay up for center, that's absolutely the route that I would probably go as well. But for now, I'm just going to go down, take my points with uh, Thompson and live to see another day. Yeah, if you're paying down, Thompson's a great option. No Kevin Love. Kevin Love, what is he? He averages double-digit rebounds, I'm right. sure. So there's going to be rebounds available for Thompson that he's not usually, um, may not get in, you know, with Love in the lineup. So I, I do like that play cheap. You might as well um, 
pay down. If you're paying down, you might as well use Thompson, I should say. Absolutely. Well, that does it for us for the Monday Rotoware NBA DFS podcast. You can hear us again Wednesday when we go over our lineups and break down the optimizer from the previous day. Ben, where can the people find you at on Twitter? You can get uh, me at Benman doing work. Still the best Twitter account at RotoWire. Much appreciated. You can follow Joe. You can follow me, Joe. I'm talking third person now at jbfantasysports.com. All right, we'll talk to you guys again Wednesday. Thanks.